And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 13, starting in verse 12 and reading through verse 30. Hear then, church, the word of the Lord. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for your son, that he came and he lived for us and he died for us. We thank you that we have hope in him. And we pray now as we look to your word that you would teach us from it. Help our hearts to be softened to it, our ears to be open, Lord. And help us to learn even from this story of Judas. That we would learn what we are to learn from it. And walk away growing in our faith because of it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The time of Christ's death then was drawing near. And by the providence of God, one of the disciples of Jesus who was there that evening when they shared this last meal together has given us an account of what all took place. He began back in chapter 13, John did, by telling us about Jesus washed his disciples' feet, showing them his love for them in an act of humble servant service, and then leaving them as an example to follow as we just Read and we talked about that last week. We noted as well that this act of Christ anticipated, it symbolized his final act of love for them when he would give his life on the cross for, for them as, as a ransom for many, bearing their sin and then cleansing them of their guilt before God just as he 
washed their feet and cleansed them in that way. Well, then we continue this morning our observation of what follows that evening as Christ prepares his disciples for his his departure, which is going to be happening very soon. And he instructs them on uh, for the purpose of being prepared for what lies ahead. Now, it's more than just instruction that we find in our passage today as the drama, we could call it, of this Passover meal unfolds. It becomes evident to their shock and their surprise that there's a traitor amongst, amongst them. There's a traitor in their midst. And being troubled by this fact, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Feeling sorrow in his heart and being troubled by this, he tells his disciples the shocking news. He identifies the man, Judas, as that man who is going to betray him. And then he sends Judas on his way to do what he had already purposed in his heart that he would do. Now, we might find this story, story somewhat uh, depressing, and, and we might be prone to move on quickly to the instruction that Jesus goes on to give his disciples after Judas is gone. But the betrayal of Judas is part of the gospel story. And so we're going to consider that this morning with an expectation that there is indeed something here for us. I had originally planned, by the way, to finish out the chapter um, this morning. And so uh, what you get, what you're going to get this morning is point one of a three-point sermon. And points two and three are just going to have to wait for later. So the revelation of a traitor in their midst. That's point one. Well, maybe you notice this, but before we get to the point where Jesus uh, makes his statement in verse 21, the plain statement that one of them is going to betray him, he actually says a number of things that really ought to have clued the disciples into the fact that there was something amiss amongst them, or rather that there was someone amiss amongst them. So if you go back to verse 10, when Jesus is washing their, their feet, do you remember we talked about this last week? In verse 10, he declares them to be clean. He says, you are clean. And when he says, he's speaking to Peter, but when he says, you are clean, the you there is plural, which is hard for us to see because in English, we don't have a plural and a singular, singular you. We just have you. So we have to say things like you all, and it sounds like we're from the South, or you guys, and it sounds like we're uneducated. So there's really no good option. So our, our translation just says, you are clean. But when he says that, he's speaking of you, plural. All of you in the group are clean. But then he makes it clear that he's not talking about all of them. Now, at first, you could imagine that they were assured and it felt good to hear Jesus say, you are clean, you all are clean. But then he adds, but not every one of you. Now, John tells us that Jesus says this because he knew there was one among them who would betray him. But at that point, they didn't know that. They didn't know who he was speaking of or why he even said it. And then he goes on, if you look in verse 18, he goes on to tell them again that he is not speaking of all of them. And then he quotes a psalm of David where God's anointed king speaks of one of his close friends betraying him. And Jesus basically says, that scripture must be fulfilled in me. As a type of Christ, David's words in that psalm point forward to a time when the Messiah, the Davidic king, would be betrayed just like he was betrayed. That text is Psalm 41, listen, 7 through 9. David said, all who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Ah, but he will. And then he says, even my close friend 
in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me, that is, has betrayed me. So Jesus says to his disciples in verse 18, I know whom I have chosen. I know every one that I have chosen, every one of you that I've chosen. None of you were chosen by accident, and none of you were chosen in ignorance of what part that you would play, even my betrayer. Because the scripture has to be fulfilled, and I as the Messiah, like David, must be betrayed by one of my own dear friends. Now it seems that even after Jesus says this, the disciples still don't understand what he's telling them. They apparently had no idea of the intentions of Judas and no inclination that any of them, any of them would betray their master. So Jesus finally says very plainly in verse 21, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. Now, this was no doubt unsettling news to his disciples. It may not seem that way to many of us because we know the story and we hear the name Judas and the first thing that comes to our mind is traitor, right? The guy who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The most notorious traitor in all of history. Judas is the most notorious traitor of all, in all of history. But they didn't know that. And they had no reason to suspect Judas at all at that point. In fact, Judas was the guy who had the money bag. That means Judas was the treasurer. And do you know a thing about treasurers? You don't appoint the guy that you think is shifty or shady to be the treasurer of the group. He's the guy who handles all the money. And that means that, that, means that he's the guy that everyone trusts. You don't give that, give that job just to anyone. And so what you see in all the gospel accounts is that when the disciples hear the news that from Jesus that one of them would betray him, they're all just shocked. You know, some of the other accounts, they all start asking, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? They were all shocked, and we would have been too. I want you to think about this. Imagine what your response would be if one Sunday I came up here and I said that I recently found out that one of our elders renounced Christ... And he was, not only did he renounce Christ and was leaving the church, he planned to sabotage our church. He was scheming to spread lies about us, terrible accusations against some of us in hopes of gaining attention from it. Think about how shocked you would be. And this was far worse. This was one of the 12 apostles. He was chosen by Jesus Christ himself. You know, it wasn't like Jesus chose one and then that guy chose one guy and then that guy chose one guy and, you know, it gets to the end and finally, it's like the telephone game, finally Judas is the last one chosen and everyone's like, ah, well, that makes sense. He was the last one chosen. He was chosen by the guy who 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 chose, was chosen by Jesus. No, Judas was chosen by Jesus himself. Jesus handpicked out his 12 apostles. And Judas was with them, all the apostles, he was with them from the beginning of Christ's early ministry. Three years, three years, Judas watched the Lord perform miracles. Three years he heard Jesus teach and very likely said amen to many of his sermons. Three years, Judas professed faith in Jesus. He went out, listen, for, during this time, uh, this three-year three period, Judas went out with, with the other disciples proclaiming the kingdom. 
He was paired off with another disciple to go out to every town proclaiming the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons in Christ's name, calling people to repentance and faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Judas was there for all of that. He, was, he, he wasn't just there for all of that. He wasn't just like a shady bystander looking all suspicious in the corner with shadows on his face. He was doing all of that. All of them did that with Jesus for three years. And now, now Jesus is telling them that one of them is going to betray him. And the reason why Jesus tells them this is because he's preparing them for it. When it happens, when they see Judas coming with the soldiers, that very night, by the way, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas is leading the soldiers to them, pointing to Jesus and saying, there he is, boys, get him. Jesus wants his disciples, when that happens, he wants his disciples to understand two things. Jesus was not oblivious to the treachery of Judas. He said he knew who he chose, and that included the the traitor. This was not a surprise to Jesus. It's one thing they could know because of Jesus preparing them. And then the second thing, the betrayal of Judas was foretold in Scripture, and it was part of God's plan. So when that happened, they would know this is part of God's plan. Now, they may be unsettled and and alarmed at the point when they hear this news from Jesus, but in telling them this, he's preparing them for it so that when this does go down, when Judas does betray him, it will only serve, it won't shake their faith, it will only serve to establish their faith in him as the Messiah. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew who he chose. This is the fulfillment of Scripture, just like David, one of his own closest friends, is going to betray him. Look, he says that in verse 19. I'm telling you this now. Why? Before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Now, when Jesus reveals who it is that will betray him, for some reason, they still don't seem to catch the identity of the betrayer. Look down with me at verse 23. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along as I narrate what happens here. Jesus tells them as they're reclining at table, you'll remember we talked about how they would, the tables were low and they would have couches. So most likely they sat on three sides of the table forming kind of like a U and there were low couches and they would all sit around this low table and they would lounge. This came from the Greek culture, by the way. It was for a long time seen as a, a decadent sort of practice, but over time, it worked its way into even the Jewish world where they would take a long time eating supper, you know, and they would, basically they would lounge around the table with their feet out from the table. Generally, they would uh, rest on their left hand or their left elbow and they would eat with their right hand. So they're having this Passover meal and it very likely took uh, a long time. It very likely took an hour or more as they were eating the meal and just conversing with one another. And as they're doing that, Jesus tells them the news. One of you is going to betray me. And the first thing in all of their minds is, how, how is this possible and who could it be? Well, Peter, you know, he's the one who always opens his mouth, but apparently he's not next to Jesus. Maybe he was far enough away that he decided to instead just motion to John. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He motions over to John, who is 
uh, close to Jesus, to ask Jesus the question, who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? And John being next to Jesus, most likely on his right-hand side because he's leaning against Jesus, he leans over and he says to the Lord, who is it? And Jesus replies, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Now, the fact that we're told that Jesus simply hands the bread to Judas. He doesn't get up. He doesn't pass it down the line. Has caused many to come to the conclusion that Judas was actually right next to Jesus. Which means Judas was on his left hand side. That might not mean a lot to us, but in that culture and in that time, the left-hand side was the place of highest honor. So Judas is sitting right next to Jesus, the place of highest honor, very possible. I mean, maybe we can't know for sure, but it's very possible, which is challenging to us because, again, we always think of Judas as the guy who hides in the corner, in the shadows, the shifty guy. But in any case, Jesus hands the bread to Judas. And he says, what you are going to do, do quickly. And for some reason, this is lost on the rest of the disciples. John tells us that some of them thought that Jesus was just sending him out to get supplies Maybe they didn't hear what Jesus had said when he responded to John saying, it's the person whom I give this bread to. Or maybe they heard, but for some reason didn't put the pieces together. Maybe for some of them, what was in their mind was there's no way. There's no way it could be Judas. At this point, Judas being under the influence of Satan gets up And he leaves the Lord and his disciples and he goes out, John says, out into the night. An appropriate picture for the spiritual reality of Judas leaving the light to walk in darkness to carry out his evil deed, an evil deed from which he would have no opportunity to repent. Now Judas serves as a cautionary character to us of the way in which the devil tempts by means of people's own lusts and desires, our own lusts and desires. Judas betrayed the Lord not because he wanted to be on the devil's side per se, but because he loved money more than he loved righteousness. He desired silver more than he desired to be faithful to his Savior. While Judas was used by the devil, we might even say at this point he became possessed by the devil. Judas played a willing part. He was a willing participant. And he was willing because of his own lustful desires. You know, the devil didn't approach Judas at the very first time, approach him singing, do you want to be evil like me? And Judas was just like enamored by the song and said, yeah. No, the song was sweet and the singer was likely hidden. It was actually a siren song like that of the sirens in the story of Odysseus. It captures men's hearts. 
awakening their own lusts and greed for that which promises life, but actually brought about his death. And therefore, everyone who reads this gospel were warned of the danger of following in the footsteps of Judas. None of the disciples imagined he would do it. Even Judas himself may have never thought he would come to this. But what started with him taking a little for himself here and there from the money bag turned into such a lust for wealth that he was willing in the end to betray Jesus for the acquisition of more. And once he gave himself over to that deed, he was corrupted. And he was so corrupted that he could not turn back. You know, it's so devastating for us to hear that because the story ends so sad for Judas. Matthew tells us that after betraying Jesus, Judas finds out that the council had had condemned Jesus to death. And he has this moment of great regret. He goes back and he tries to undo what he had done, but it was too late. And Matthew tells us that being filled with regret and the guilt of what he had done, Judas hangs himself. And that's hard for us to hear because, partly because we know the Savior, right? We read Judas' story and we know the Savior. We know how Peter's story ends. We know that the extent of Christ's forgiveness knows no bounds, that even in that moment, if Judas had repented and sought the Lord's forgiveness, Even after he betrayed him, if he had sought his forgiveness, if he had repented, surely he would have been forgiven and restored by the Savior. But the harsh reality that we struggle to understand is that Judas would not and perhaps could not repent. He knew only regret. Judas knew only regret, but no repentance. And at that point, he didn't even know how. Now, the writer of of Hebrews warns us of this reality that some, like Esau, can be filled with regret. Did you know that there is such a thing as being filled with regret but being beyond the point of repentance? That people can get to the point because of the hardness of their hearts. They're beyond the point of repentance and faith in Christ, but they are just filled with regret. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 speaks of Esau and he says, for you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. It is the fool who says, I will live my life as I please today and maybe tomorrow I will turn to the Lord. For as we see in both cases, in both Judas and Esau, tomorrow may very well be one day too late. For the one who knows the truth of the gospel and yet has not entrusted themselves to Christ, there may come a time when their sin causes them great sorrow and regret. They may feel the great weight of their guilt upon them, yet have no chance to repent. And that is why the scripture says, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen today to the voice of the Savior. Today is the day of your salvation. Don't wait to repent and trust in him. Today is the day. Now, there's something else that we can learn from the story of Judas. We can understand how it came as a shock to the disciples 
that one of their own was about to reveal himself as a traitor and an apostate. And we can't understand that. Why? Because Judas wasn't the only apostate of the Christian faith, was he? There have been many who, like him, were included in the community of faith for a time. They were esteemed as a brother or sister in Christ, yet they fell away. Judas was in the inner circle. He had a distinct position. He was given an honored title, apostle. But those things did not guarantee genuine, lasting faith in the Savior. And likewise, listen church, likewise today, within the church of Jesus Christ, there can be some who appear to be committed to the Lord. They they hold even positions of honor in the church, and yet they can still be far from Christ. One can be a member of the church. One could be a Sunday school teacher. One could be a deacon. One could be an elder. One could be a preacher, even a gifted preacher. And none of that is guarantee of devotion, genuine devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't say that to make us paranoid, you know, looking around about who is the potential apostate or Judas among us. But we ought to be careful not to assume that things like regular attendance, baptism, church membership, even leadership in the church necessarily equate to possession of actual spiritual life in Jesus Christ. One may have all of the outward appearance of that which generally accompanies faith in Jesus Christ, yet still have a heart untouched by God's grace unchanged by his spirit, unrepentant towards his or her own sins. And when apostasy happens in the church, when individuals who have been recognized as Christians, possibly for many years, turn away from the faith, or as some have called it today, deconstruct their faith, which is just a nicer way of saying they renounced Christ or they became apostates sometimes even seeking to destroy the faith of others. When that happens, we know the story of Judas. And it not not shake our faith or alarm us. For indeed, this kind of thing has been happening since Judas. There's nothing new under the sun. None of the disciples at that time may have suspected Judas would leave their company to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but his betrayal was the revelation of his spiritual condition, which had been concealed from them for the whole time. In his letter to the church, the Apostle John wrote of those who came into the church for a while, but eventually they left in opposition to Christ. And John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. In other words, when they left the church, John is saying, when these individuals left the church in opposition to Christ, renouncing the faith, they made it plain to us that they were actually not genuine Christians, even though we thought they were. For a time, they looked like they were. But they revealed when they left that they were not. 
Now, this is why the writer of Hebrews can give this kind of warning even to those who claim to belong to Christ. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 3. This is why the writer of Hebrews can write to the church, can write to Christians, can write to those who claim to believe in Jesus Christ and say this kind of thing. He says in chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, what's that confidence, you ask? Well, it's the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. It's the Christian confidence. It's our confidence in Christ and His work on the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life in Him, that He is our Savior. And without Him, apart from Him, we'd be lost. Without Him, we'd be without hope in this world. So, friends, as we consider the story of Judas, and even as we consider those who follow in Judas's footsteps, those who apostatize, or apost- those who become apostates, <laughs> We might feel a right kind of sorrow, but it ought not shake our faith in the Savior. We ought to be prepared for it. And at the same time, we ought to take care, like the writer of Hebrews says, take care ourselves, lest there be in any of us an unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. So Judas' story and the story of every apostate, when it hits us rightly, When it hits us, when we hear it rightly, it causes us to say, each of us to say, is my faith in Christ real? Do I know the Savior? Do I love Him? Do I trust Jesus as my Savior? Or am I trusting in other things, things that I've done, or the religious rituals that I participated, or or do I trust that I'm a Christian simply because other people uh, speak of me as a Christian and treat me as a Christian? Or am I a Christian because I'm, I, I am trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ? He's the one in whom my faith rests. And along with trusting in Him as my Savior, do I really regard Him as my Lord? Or have I tried to cut Him in half and say, I'll take the Savior, Jesus, but I don't want the Lord, Jesus? Do I regard him as my Lord, as my desire to live my life under his gracious rule and merciful hand? Is there godly sorrow over my sin that leads me to confession of that sin to God in assurance of my pardon in Jesus Christ because I'm clinging to him? That's how our response ought to be when we read this story of Judas. Well then, let us look to our Lord for the grace to hold our confidence, our confidence in Christ, firm to the end. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says, and we'll close with this. He says, the strongest Christian is the one who feels his weakness most and cries most frequently, hold me up and I shall be saved. Psalm 119, 117. Let's pray. Lord, we pray along with the psalmist who said, you search me and you know me. You discern my thoughts from afar. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. 
So search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any evil way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anchor then, O God, our hope and our trust in you. Keep us and hold us fast that we would hold firm our confidence in your Son to the end. And this we pray in his name and for his sake and our eternal joy. Amen.